John Calvin delves into the nuances of the Apostle Paul's message and his method of communication with the Galatian church. In this verse, Paul notes that he has written the epistle with his own hand, a detail that Calvin finds particularly significant. He begins by analyzing the Greek verb idete, used by Paul in this passage. This verb can be translated as either an imperative or an indicative, but Calvin argues that this ambiguity does not substantially alter the passage's meaning. The crux of Calvin's interpretation lies in understanding the implications of Paul's personal involvement in penning the letter. Typically, leaders like Paul would dictate their letters to a scribe. Therefore, the act of writing this epistle himself was a significant departure from the norm and served a specific purpose. Calvin suggests that this personal effort was an expression of Paul's deep concern and earnestness about the spiritual welfare of the Galatians. By explicitly stating that he wrote the letter with his own hand, Paul was signaling the seriousness of his message and his personal investment in the recipient's response. Calvin views this personal touch as a powerful tool for strengthening the relationship between Paul and the Galatian church. It was a demonstration of Paul's willingness to go to great lengths for their spiritual guidance, a gesture that Calvin believes should prompt a correspondingly serious and attentive response from the Galatians. This approach emphasizes a key theme in Calvin's broader theological framework, the importance of earnestness and dedication in spiritual instruction and reception. Also, Calvin's focus on this aspect of Paul's letter accentuates his understanding of the dynamics of pastoral care and instruction. For Calvin, the physical effort and time invested by a spiritual leader like Paul were not just practical considerations, but were also deeply symbolic of the pastoral relationship. Such efforts were meant to be met with thoughtful consideration and a sincere desire to understand and apply the teachings. In this way, Calvin's interpretation of Galatians 6.11 reflects his broader theological perspective on the reciprocal nature of spiritual leadership and discipleship. Moreover, Calvin dives into the motives and actions of certain individuals who insisted on the necessity of circumcision for Christians. He criticizes them not for their adherence to the law per se, but for their underlying intentions and the implications of their actions on the Christian faith. Calvin interprets their insistence on circumcision as a tactic driven by ambition and a desire for personal gain, particularly to win favor and applause from others, notably the Jews. He uses the Greek term euprosopesai, which translates to making a fair or pleasing appearance, to describe their behavior. This behavior, according to Calvin, was not rooted in a sincere commitment to godly principles or zeal for the gospel, but in a selfish desire to avoid persecution and maintain personal comfort. Calvin's critique extends to the way these individuals manipulated religious practices to suit their own ends. He accuses them of adopting circumcision, not out of a genuine conviction of its necessity, but as a means to appease the Jews and thereby protect themselves from the backlash. This, he contends, was a clear compromise of the gospel's essence, which he refers to as the cross of Christ. In Calvin's view, the pure preaching of the gospel necessarily involved embracing the cross, which meant facing persecution and hardship, rather than circumventing them for personal ease. Furthermore, Calvin affirms the irony in their actions. While they sought to avoid persecution by appeasing the Jews through circumcision, they simultaneously disturbed the peace of the Christian church by imposing what he deems a tyrannical yoke on the consciences of believers. This act of forcing unnecessary ceremonial practices on Christians, according to Calvin, was a direct contradiction to the freedom offered in Christ. In sum, Calvin's interpretation of Galatians 6.12 serves as a cautionary tale against the dangers of allowing personal ambitions and fears to dictate religious practices and teachings.
He asserts the importance of upholding the purity of the gospel, even in the face of persecution, and warns against the distortion of Christian doctrine for selfish gains. In addition, Calvin focuses on the issue of circumcision and its advocates. Calvin debates that Paul's admonition is directed not at all circumcised individuals, but specifically at teachers who insist on circumcision for the wrong reasons. He suggests that these teachers do not genuinely adhere to the law themselves, yet they compel others to follow its ceremonial aspects. This hypocrisy, Calvin highlights, indicates that their advocacy for circumcision is not rooted in a sincere commitment to the law, but rather in ulterior motives such as seeking approval or recognition from Jewish communities. Calvin draws a parallel between these early Christian teachers and certain contemporaries in his own time. He criticizes defenders of the papal system, whom he accuses of being driven more by ambition and self-interest than by true faith. These individuals, according to Calvin, claim to follow the decrees of the Roman Church but in practice disregard them, focusing instead on avoiding personal risk and seeking their own benefit. This critique extends to Calvin's broader theological and ecclesiastical concerns. He sees a recurring pattern of religious leaders manipulating doctrine and practice not for spiritual edification, but for personal gain or prestige. This, he implies, is a perversion of true Christian teaching. Calvin interprets Paul's message as a strong rebuke of those who exploit religious practices for their own glory, rather than for sincere worship and adherence to Christian doctrine. The commentary serves as a caution against the hypocrisy of using religion as a tool for self-aggrandizement. Calvin indicates the importance of sincerity in faith and practice, warning against the dangers of allowing personal ambitions to corrupt religious teachings and practices. This perspective reflects Calvin's broader reformist views, advocating for a return to what he considered the true essence of Christian faith, free from the distortions of self-interested leaders. Further, Calvin digs into the Apostle Paul's declaration of glorying solely in the cross of Christ. He contrasts this stance with that of the false apostles, who sought human approval and shunned the burden of the cross. Calvin interprets Paul's commitment as a profound statement of finding ultimate value and happiness in what the world sees as shameful, the crucifixion of Christ. This stance is in stark opposition to the worldly pursuit of glory and recognition. For Paul, according to Calvin, the cross is not just an emblem of Christ's sacrifice but a comprehensive symbol of redemption, encapsulating the entirety of salvation, including the resurrection. Calvin stresses that all other forms of glorying, apart from this central Christian truth, are not just insignificant but are tantamount to serious transgressions. Exploring the phrase, by which the world is crucified, Calvin ponders whether it refers to Christ or the cross itself. He opts for the latter, suggesting that the cross symbolizes the believer's death to worldly values and pursuits. The world, in this context, represents all that is antithetical to the spiritual kingdom of Christ, the concerns and desires of the unregenerate human nature. Besides, Calvin analyzes Paul's statement of mutual crucifixion between himself and the world. He interprets this as Paul's disdain and disregard for worldly matters, having died to them just as a dead man has no dealings with earthly affairs. This mutual crucifixion signifies a complete break from the values and judgments of the world. While acknowledging an alternative interpretation, that Paul sees the world as condemned if it views him as contemptible, Calvin finds this reading a bit far-fetched and leaves it open to interpretation by his readers. Additionally, Calvin examines the profound spiritual transformation that occurs when one is in Christ Jesus. He interprets this passage as a declaration that true union with Christ goes beyond mere religious observance. It requires a complete internal renewal or rebirth, what he terms as becoming a new creature. 
This transformation, according to Calvin, is the work of the Holy Spirit and is fundamental to Christian identity. Calvin disputes that all that hinders spiritual renewal should be dismissed or allowed to perish. In his view, the rituals and symbols of the law, like circumcision, are inconsequential in Christ's kingdom. The essence of Christianity, as Calvin sees it, is not found in these external practices, but in the internal transformation of an individual. This transformation aligns one's life with the principles and life of Christ, which is the core of Christian faith. To reinforce his argument, Calvin refers to 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it is stated that anyone in Christ ought to be a new creature. This newness, in Calvin's interpretation, is a deep and fundamental change. It's not just about outwardly following religious practices, but undergoing a profound internal shift. This shift leads individuals away from living for themselves or worldly desires, and towards a life filled with spiritual purpose and meaning. Also, Calvin draws from Romans 6, 4, which talks about being raised to a newness of life. This idea signifies a complete departure from former ways of living, symbolizing a rebirth into a life that is spiritually aligned with Christ's teachings and example. In essence, Calvin's interpretation of Galatians 6.15 maintains the insignificance of physical rights like circumcision in the Christian faith. He posits that the true measure of belonging to Christ's kingdom is not found in ritualistic observance but in the spiritual rebirth and renewal that comes from a profound, authentic connection with Christ. This internal transformation transcends the mere adherence to religious laws and rituals, marking a fundamental shift in how one lives and perceives their faith. Moreover, Calvin provides a deep insight into his theological perspective, particularly regarding the practice and doctrine of Christianity. He views this verse as not only a prayer for those who adhere to the right doctrine, but also as an affirmation of their path. The rule, referred to in the text according to Calvin, is akin to a blueprint used by architects, serving as a guide for ministers in building the church according to divine specifications. This analogy points out the importance of adhering to the doctrinal and practical guidelines set forth in the scriptures for the proper functioning and formation of the church. Calvin reiterates the encouragement that faithful teachers and followers should derive from this passage. In his view, this divine endorsement is far more significant than any earthly authority, including the condemnations of figures like the Pope. He positions divine approval and guidance as paramount, suggesting that adherence to the right doctrine and practice aligns one with God's will which is superior to any human authority or judgment. A critical aspect of Calvin's interpretation is his distinction between the physical descendants of Abraham and the Israel of God. He contends that the true Israel of God encompasses all believers in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, united in one church. This stands in contrast to those who claim their lineage from Abraham purely as a matter of heritage, which Calvin considers inadequate for true inclusion among God's people. His interpretation here reflects a broader theological stance that prioritizes faith and divine grace over lineage or tradition. Calvin's commentary on this verse exemplifies his approach to Scripture, where faith in Christ and adherence to God's teachings are central. He stresses that true Christian identity and practice are rooted in faith and divine grace, not in traditional authority or lineage. This perspective is a hallmark of Calvin's theological thought and contributes significantly to Protestant doctrines especially those related to church leadership, community formation, and the nature of true faith. Furthermore, Calvin centers on the Apostle Paul's declaration, Let no man trouble me, which Calvin views as an authoritative command, reflecting Paul's high status in the early Christian community. Paul, in Calvin's view, is repeating his right to preach the gospel unimpeded by opposition or contradiction. 
He is ready to face hardships for the sake of the church, but is unwilling to be sidetracked by needless disputes. Paul's focus is on the essential mission of preaching, and he considers other matters inconsequential compared to the significance of the new creation in Christ. Calvin explores the meaning of as to everything else, tuloipu, understanding it as Paul's way of dismissing concerns unrelated to the gospel. This interpretation contrasts with that of Erasmus, who relates the phrase to time. Calvin underlines that for Paul, the only matter of importance is the transformative power of the new creature in Christ, rendering other issues trivial. In addition, the commentary examines Paul's statement about bearing the marks of the Lord Jesus. Calvin interprets these marks as the physical and psychological scars Paul acquired through his sufferings and persecutions for the sake of the gospel. These include imprisonment, beatings, stoning, and other forms of maltreatment. Calvin compares these marks to military honors, suggesting that while they are considered dishonorable by worldly standards, they are highly esteemed in the spiritual realm. The Greek term stigmata, used for these marks, typically referred to the branding of slaves or criminals, underscoring the societal disgrace associated with them. However, for Paul and other devout Christians, these marks symbolize their dedication to spreading the gospel and are a source of honor. Calvin's analysis emphasizes the contrast between worldly accolades and the spiritual honors that Christ's followers receive, often accompanied by suffering and disgrace. He portrays Paul as a committed soldier of Christ, whose scars are a testament to his unwavering commitment to his mission. Last but not least, Calvin offers a profound insight into the Christian understanding of divine grace. The verse, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, is seen by Calvin not just as a simple farewell or a routine blessing, but as an invocation for a deeply personal and transformative experience of grace. Calvin accentuates that the efficacy of God's grace is not merely in its bestowal, but in how it is perceived and internalized by the believer. He posits that the true enjoyment and realization of God's grace occur when it deeply resonates and aligns with the individual's spirit. This suggests a dual process, the giving of grace by God and the receptive preparation of the soul by the individual. The idea of the soul being prepared as a habitation for grace is particularly significant in Calvin's theology. It implies that the human spirit must be in a state of readiness and openness to truly appreciate and experience the fullness of God's grace. This readiness involves a conscious acknowledgement and feeling of grace, moving beyond intellectual understanding to a more profound, heartfelt experience. Calvin's closing word, Amen, is not just a ceremonial end, but a seal of affirmation to this prayerful desire for an intimate encounter with grace. It reflects a deep longing for a spiritual communion that transcends mere knowledge of divine grace, seeking an experiential, transformative relationship with it. Through this interpretation, Calvin affirms the relational aspect of Christian faith, where grace is not a passive gift, but an active, living reality that shapes and enriches the believer's inner life. It asserts the necessity of personal spiritual engagement and the importance of preparing one's heart and soul to fully embrace and experience the grace of God. This perspective is central to Calvinist theology, which focuses on the transformative power of divine grace in shaping a believer's life and faith journey. In conclusion, Calvin offers a multifaceted analysis of Paul's teachings, focusing on the implications of Paul personally writing the epistle. Calvin perceives this as a significant departure from the norm, symbolizing Paul's deep concern for the Galatians' spiritual welfare. He interprets Paul's direct involvement in writing as a strong signal of the seriousness of his message and his personal investment in their response. This approach aligns with Calvin's broader theological view that highlights earnestness and dedication in spiritual instruction. 
Further, Calvin addresses the issue of circumcision, critiquing individuals who advocated for it not out of genuine faith, but for personal gain and to avoid persecution. He interprets their insistence on circumcision as a way to win favor with the Jews, undermining the essence of the gospel. This stance, according to Calvin, reflects a misuse of religious practices for selfish ends, which he considers a grave distortion of Christian doctrine. Besides, Calvin digs into the theme of spiritual transformation in Christ. He debates that true union with Christ transcends mere adherence to religious rites like circumcision, instead requiring a profound internal renewal. This transformation, in Calvin's view, represents a shift from living according to worldly desires to a life aligned with Christ's teachings. Additionally, Calvin interprets Paul's statement, Let no man trouble me, as a declaration of authority, indicating Paul's focus on the central mission of preaching the gospel. Calvin views Paul's scars from persecutions as spiritual honors, contrasting with worldly accolades. Finally, Calvin discusses the transformative nature of divine grace. He sees the invocation of grace as not just a farewell, but a call for a deep, personal experience of grace, maintaining the importance of preparing one's spirit to fully receive and internalize this grace. Overall, Calvin's analysis reflects his theological perspectives on the importance of sincerity and faith, the dangers of hypocrisy in religious leadership, and the transformative power of grace in the Christian life.